Welcome again. Um, tonight, we are entering a new series tonight called True North. Listen up. So we got a new series tonight called True North. And this comes out of um, the, this book of Colossians that we'll be going through, um, and that we'll be studying all the way up until actually the end of the semester until we go on to uh, Christmas break. And so when, when searching for True North, a lot of things came up in Google when I first was like, okay, what's the series title going to be? True North, awesome. I'm going to search it and hopefully find something. And I was not prepared for how many things use the phrase True North. Um, first off, there's something called a geographic True North. And then there's something called a magnetic North. I did not know that there were two different things. Apparently, a geographic true north is the direction on map and globes that is found by using the lines of long, longitude, and this is opposed to what is magnetic north, or what a compass actually tells us. See, I was under the impression that a compass actually told me where true north was, but because of the curvature of the earth, what ends up happening, if we see here, that magnetic north is actually off kilter of true north. So true north is the north pole, and then magnetic north is the magnetic field that the earth has, um, and it's off kilter. In fact, the magnetic north and south pole, it changes every now and then depending on um, the magnetic field of the earth, um, and resulting, there's this difference that is always between true north and magnetic north. And so if you use a compass to get to the North Pole, you'll actually never get there. You'll be off by like 12 degrees, which is a lot, according to maps. So 12 degrees, like directional degrees. It's a lot. It's a lot. So anyway, so because of this illustration, this, this illustration that you have a true north is different than a magnetic north, you have now people, when I searched in Google, again, another thing that came up was that people like to use this in motivational talks. What they'll say is, is because the earth is, um, the magnetic field in the earth is ever-changing, they relate that to culture as culture's ever-changing, and then one might have to find their true north in themselves and whatever they want. So you have a lot of motivational speakers saying, find your true north. And it's whatever it's in yourself, because you know what you want, and it's not influenced by the culture. Well, here's the thing. Yourself always changes, because I know for me, my music preferences change at least bi-weekly, if not more. Um, but also our preferences in like what video games we like to play changes often. Yeah, so I like Halo, but apparently Halo was like two decades ago. Forever ago. Thank you. I will. Um, and now there's like new video games like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. There's a new one out. So preferences change. What we like changes. So if you actually go off the illustration of find your true north within yourself, it's not really a true north because it's, it's changing. You're ever changing. And so if we're going to actually use this phrase, true north, which we are going to in this series, we are going to use this phrase, true north, and, and how it relates to Colossians, we need to find something that's constant, something that does not change. 
We can't look to nature. We can't look to ourselves. Those things are ever-changing. One thing that is constant is, is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 8 says, says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we study through Colossians, especially Colossians 1 tonight, we will see how Jesus Christ is our true north, and He is the one that we need to be following. So, before we dive into Colossians 1, to get a better understanding of what this book takes place in and the time period, I want to take you on a journey to Colossae, the town where this letter is written to. So, here is Europe. You see Spain, France, Germany, Poland, England's here. Um, you see the Middle East here. We have Egypt, Israel, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Turkey. So, that's like modern-day map. Now, if you go to biblical times, next slide, there we go. Um, this is what it looked like in the New Testament. So, you have Italy here. Uh, this is what, you know, Spain is modern day. You have Italy. You have Greece, modern day Greece, modern day Turkey's here. You have Egypt, Syria, um, and Israel. Colossae, the town that the Colossians, the, the letter of Colossians was written to, is right here. If you can see my fancy dancy laser pointer, it's right there. So, a little bit about Colossians. Colossae used to be a bustling town. We see the town that's um, close-ish to the sea. It used to be a major trading route until the, tra the trading route that went through the town got moved, and it goes through a town north of it called Laodicea. And then the decline of the town Colossae started plummeting. So it would be like this. I'm from Goodfield. There's an interstate that runs right by Goodfield. The interstate is probably one of the major reasons why Goodfield exists and is, I think, thriving today. You take the interstate away from Goodfield, and I would bet you that the companies that are in Goodfield are going to move because transportation is not going to be as easy. People are going to move because they can't get on the interstate if they go to work somewhere outside of the Rika goodfield Congreville area. And the town of Goodfield would decline. People would move out. Businesses would move out, and Goodfield would decline. I kind of relate what happened to Colossae to the town of Goodfield. If the interstate ever moved away from Goodfield, which I don't anticipate happening, praise the Lord. But I hope this creates a little bit of a better picture of the town that Paul is writing to. Because when Paul is writing to it, it is in its decline. In fact, a couple years after Paul writes to it, it, it gets destroyed by an earthquake and then Years later, an Islamic rule, uh, uh, is, it is destroyed by Islamic rule later on and completely obliterated. And today, Colossae looks like, next slide, this. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. The decline went so far, it literally got destroyed. There's nothing. There's roads. They think this is where a temple's at, was. This, they think where a theater could have been. It's completely gone. And so we see that when Paul is writing to this town, it's, it's in desperation. Now, the church, there was a church in Colossae at one point, and this is who Paul is writing to. This church was started by a, name, 
uh, a man named Epaphras. Who knows Epaphras? Don't worry, I didn't recognize his name either before I started in Colossians. Epaphras was from Colossae, heard Paul preach the gospel when Paul was in Ephesus, and he brought the gospel back to his hometown. So it's like this. It's if Goodfield has no churches, because Goodfield's a great example because it's a small town, and Colossae was a small town. If Goodfield had no churches, and the first church had just got planted in Eureka, and someone from Goodfield came and listened and heard the gospel in Eureka for the first time and went back and planted a church in Goodfield. And so this is kind of what Epaphras is doing. He heard the gospel in, in, in Galatia, or not Galatia, in Ephesus where Paul was teaching, and he took it and he started a church in Colossae. Now the Colossian church in its heyday, which is, is when it was growing, um, but still yet very small, had many things that were good. But even though they had many things that were good, they started to let some false teaching creep into their church. And as a response to this false teaching, Paul writes the letter of Colossians. So, without further ado, let's actually dive in to see what Colossians 1 says. So, at the beginning of the letter... Paul is introducing himself. He greets him, the, the Colossian church as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he goes and he thanks and he's praising God for what, he has, for what God has done in the Colossian church. In verse 3, he says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you've had for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the world of the truth, the gospel that is to come to you. It is bearing fruit, growing all over the world, just as, as among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. So Paul's just saying, hey, we are super thankful, and we are praising God that not only did you hear the gospel, but you actually applied it to your lives. You, it's just not a head thing. It went to your heart, and it went to your hands, and so you actually believe it, but now you're actually doing things, and you're spreading the gospel, you're sharing God's love, you're evidence of a true relationship with Jesus. You're evidence that the gospel has actually changed your life. And you're evidence that God is at work in this church. As Paul continues to write, he talks about how he's been praying for the church. So he has this introduction, he has this thanksgiving section, he has this praising section, now he has this prayer section he has this prayer for the church in Colossae, and it's a beautiful prayer, and I want you to take note because it's not only Paul's prayer for Colossae, but as I was reading it, I was convicted. I said, this is my prayer actually for Crosspoint. As a pastor, this is actually my prayer for hype. This is my prayer for you, and this is my prayer for myself as well. Paul writes this prayer to Colossae. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. He's saying, my prayer for this church, and what I can say is my prayer for you guys is the same prayer 
is that you would know and you'd be filled with the understanding of the gospel, that you would know God intimately. We just came off this series of being the bride and what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and what it means to have that relationship in an intimate way, knowing Jesus. And so Paul starts his prayer with, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I want you to know Jesus. Why? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit. And while you're doing that, doing it with endurance, not giving up. And after Paul finishes his prayer and he's just moving into the mindset of, of the rest of his letter, we see that he's addressing the false teaching. I mentioned that there was a lot of good things that were going for the Colossian church, but one thing that was infiltrating its, its walls was false gospel, false teaching. And so this is the point of Paul's letters when he is addressing this. And he doesn't address it head on right away. We'll see that in chapter 2. In chapter 1, he lays a foundation to what he builds his argument off of in chapter 2. So the, some of the false teaching that was uh, uh, creeping into the church was that Christ, Jesus, wasn't God. That you had to do more than just believe the gospel to receive salvation. That works, you had to do some type of works. There was also false teaching of that angels were worthy of worshiping, that other things, created things, were worthy of worshiping. And that's not true at all. You worship the creator, not the creation. And so what Paul does is to counteract this false teaching, he lays out a foundation of what biblical, the biblical gospel is. He lays this foundation of who Christ is, who the person of Jesus is. And that's the way you counteract any false teaching, is you have to go back to the Bible. You have to go back to who Jesus is, and you have to go back to what he did for you. And so Paul starts sharing the gospel to the Colossians to remind them, hey, this is where you need to start. This is your foundation, and this is how God loves you. And that's where it starts. Verse 13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul starts sharing the gospel. He starts sharing that, like how we are redeemed. He shares how we are forgiven for our sins. He shares how Christ ha has loved us in this way and how we can be redeemed to him. But in the middle of sharing this, he breaks and he goes on a, like a poem side tangent of who Christ is. So he references Christ, and now in this next section he pauses and he's going to share intimately deep who Christ is. He says this, he is the image of the invisible God. Have you ever seen God? I have never seen God. But Jesus was and is God. And so when he was living on earth, he was literally the image of who God is. The invisible, he's the image of the invisible God. So when he lived and walked on this earth, and you were a disciple, or you were living in that time period, you literally saw God. Emmanuel, a name for Jesus, means God with us. He is the firstborn of all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. 
the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities. All things have been created for him and through him. What does this mean? What does this mean? This means that Christ is in all and is in control over everything. So, your trial that you're going through, your struggle, whether you're stressed out over schoolwork, you're stressed out because you got family issues going on in your life, you struggle with that, that temptation, that sin that you're going through. Whenever you have a bad day, whenever things don't go your way, whenever you're getting picked on in school, whenever you're fighting with a sibling, whenever you have a fallout with a friend, when you ever experience a breakup, a bad grade on a test, whatever it is, this is what I hold on to when I go through stuff like that in life. This person of Christ as my foundation is that he is in control of all things. He is the maker of all things. He sustains all things. He is literally my everything because I put all my hope in Him because He is all I have. And who else would you want to put your hope in? If something goes wrong and you put your hope in something else, that something else is going to fail, that something else isn't God, that something else isn't Jesus. If, I, if something happens to me and I go run to video games, eventually I have to stop playing video games Video games is not going to solve my problem. Video games is not going to help me fix whatever I'm going through. I can't put my hope in video games. As something goes wrong in my life, a trial happens, and I run to a person, a human person, even someone good, like a parent. They may help me in that moment, but it's a temporary solution. A person cannot totally fix my problems, and nor are they in control of my problems. They're experiencing it, but not firsthand. See, Jesus is, is God, and God is living in us as the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity, Jesus, Father, the Holy Spirit. And so literally, we have the Holy Spirit within us whenever we go through a trial. We have, we have God. We are one with God if we are a believer. And Jesus has gone through every single temptation that we have gone through. And Jesus is interceding in heaven for us. And not only that, but he's in control of our lives. He's in control of everything. So why wouldn't we go to him if we have something go wrong in our lives? And even when things are going good in our lives, we might not have anything going wrong, we still go to him because he's in control of everything. This is who Paul is trying to describe to the Colossian church. Hey, pay attention. I want you to believe in this person. This is the person of Christ. This is who, who Christ really is. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on him. As we continue, the description of who Jesus is in Colossians 1. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may come to have first place in everything. 
For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on heaven or things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We see here that Paul describes Jesus as the head of the church. So not only is he the head of our personal lives, he's in control of everything, but he's also the head of the church. He's head of hype. He's the head of Crosspoint. He's the head of the global church. And so everything that we do needs to be a reflection of, of who he is and striving to become more like Christ. So as a hype, as, as a student ministry, as leaders, as student leaders, as believers, everything that we do has to reflect the character of Jesus. Everything that we do has to help us become more like him. That is our mindset. That is our goal. That is our purpose and what we do. And after Paul ends this beautiful foundation of, of who Christ is, he finishes up with the gospel. So remember, before we talked about this poem of Christ, he was starting the gospel. He took a break to talk about who Christ is, and now he's coming back to finish his gospel presentation to the Colossians so he can finish laying this foundation. Verse 21 says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, you are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. I hope you see that the main point that Paul is making in this opening letter is this foundation aspect. I hope you see that. Hopefully, you, one thing you take away from Paul's teaching to the Colossians is in Colossians when he's laying a foundation. So a foundation, when I say foundation, something that helps me understand this is a house or a building. You have to lay a foundation before you can build the walls up. If you have no foundation or even a weak foundation, the building is most likely going to fall over. Have you, how many of you have ever played with Legos? I love Legos. At heart, I wish I could have time to play Legos. I know. But if you're building a, a building or a structure or a house in Legos, what do you usually start with? A base. Yeah, a foundation. Foundation base. The green square. Exactly. You start with the green square. So it's not just in, in building houses in life or, or, or building with Legos, but it, it's your belief system. It's why you're living. It's your way of life. Whether you know it or not, you have a foundation for your life and how you live. Your foundation might be self. I live to please myself. I live to make myself happy. I live to satisfy what I want. I live for me. Your foundation might be to do good. My foundation of life is to help others. My foundation is to make the world better. My foundation is to get good grades. I don't know. Your foundation might also be to 
I'll be really good at video games. It's a sad foundation. But I know people who literally play video games eight hours a day. It's a long time. It's a lot. I know people who make grades and schooling their foundation that if they don't get good grades or succeed, that their life is ruined. And when they say that, like, my life is over if I don't get an A or if my life is over if I don't get a good grade on this test, they're literally saying that their good grades are their foundation of their life because if they don't get it, their life is over because that's their foundation. It's broken. Some people have a foundation of being liked. Some people have a foundation of being popular. But what about that moment when, when things go wrong and you find yourself alone in a dark place? You have no foundation at that, point, at that moment in time. And so the, and the important thing that Paul is trying to get to the Colossian church is that you have to have Christ as your foundation. Jesus Christ, you have to have God as your foundation. You have to have the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who offers you forgiveness, the one that wants to be in a relationship with you, the one that is in control of everything, the one that is firstborn of all creation, the one that, the one that everything flows through in this universe. Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying to the Colossians is, is my prayer and my plea to you is that who is your foundation? Or what is your foundation? Because sometimes it's not even a who, it's a what. It's a physical thing. And in those moments, we call those physical things idols. So I challenge you, who or what is your foundation? Because before you can understand the Bible, before you can have a deep understanding of theology or a deep understanding of who God is, before you can really understand this, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. You have to understand the gospel. You have to have that foundation aspect before you can understand anything deeper. So my prayer to you and my hope is that your foundation is rooted in Jesus Christ. Your foundation is rooted in the love that God has for you. Because if it's not, when, when troubles come, when trials come, and your current foundation fails you, you will be left alone, broken. You'll be left with no hope. And so I pray that, um, I pray that even tonight, if you, if you know that Christ isn't your foundation, if you know that you don't have that saving relationship with Jesus, I pray that you would accept him as Lord and Savior. And I would pray that you start living your life based off the foundation of what Christ has done for you, how he loves you, and how he forgives you, and how he wants to be in that relationship with you. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. God, we love you. God, thank you so, so much for loving us first. 
Thank you so much for giving us grace. Thank you so much for giving us mercy when we least deserve it. God, because we fail. We're broken people. God, we struggle. God, we need you. God, I just pray that whatever's going on in students' lives, whatever's going on in leaders' lives, whatever, God, in my life, God, I know there's areas where I need you. God, help me to bring me back to my foundation of my life, God. God, help me to realize that you're the only one that sustains me, that you're the only one that is truly in control, that you're the only one who keeps me, that you're the only one who loves me with everything that they have, God, because, God, you gave it all on the cross for us, for me. God, I just pray... I just pray now that for students who, who don't know you in an, an intimate relationship, God, that they would ask, God, that they would cry out, that they would, that they would just pray to you that they want to start that tonight. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for just the letter of Colossians and, and looking to, into it and, and getting truths out of it, God. We just thank you for this time. We love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.